Welcome to another episode of Nourishing Ideas, the podcast where you meet people hungry for solutions to the different food challenges our world are facing. I will mainly focus on people connected to the food industry somehow, but every now and then other interesting persons will be heard. My name is Hans Hallengren and I'm very curious of people that want to make a difference in a sustainable way. If you like this podcast, I would love to hear from you on Facebook, Nourishing Ideas, or via mail, have a look at the homepage, nourishingideas.se. If you also would like to donate any amount of money, please do so on patreon.com forward slash nourishingideas. Thank you for your support, big or small. Now let's move on and be inspired by Niklas Wallberg at SE Forum, Stockholm, Sweden. What an interesting person Niklas is. He has started businesses in Australia, developed summer camps in Sweden so that underprivileged kids also could go without getting the etiquette of being poor. So continue to listen to a story where grandfathers make an impact and how SE Forum will be a part of changing the world with a social entrepreneurship and sustainable ideas. You will listen to stories from all over the world and feel inspired to question yourself with some really good questions so you will find your purpose and why you want to start a business or how to improve your business model. Curious? I am. So let's listen to Niklas Wallberg at SE Forum located at Norsken in Stockholm, Sweden. Welcome, Niklas, to Nourishing Ideas. Thank you very much. I uh, would like to hear a highlight moment in the history of SE Forum for you. Mm, so for me, so I've been in the organization for, for roughly one year. Um, and I would say the first highlight story, like for me personally, yeah. was the first time I met the participants that we have here um, that's coming to Sweden. So we have eight people that we select every year out of 900 applications from all over the world. Um, and the first time I met them and saw them together um, after they've been spending time roughly a week together mm-hmm. and seeing them bouncing ideas and helping each other out um, and seeing them grow as individuals and as entrepreneurs. That was that was pretty special for me. Uh, well, this, this year or last year? Or last year, last yeah. Year, yeah. 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 So one year, so how, how long have SA Forum been around for? So SA Forum has been around since 2004. So it's probably one of the oldest organizations in Sweden working with social entrepreneurship um, and started more as a network for social entrepreneurs here. Um, but then uh, it moved on as all the organizations do. They evolve and uh, finding new sort of ways of working. and. Roughly six years ago, I started to work with CEDA, um, developing um, different business development programs for social entrepreneurs um, and focusing on the effect in low-income countries. Mm-hmm. So that has made that the organization is focusing um, quite a lot on those types of programs uh, at the moment. So why did it start in the, in the beginning anyway? I think, I think it's actually one of the reasons why we still exist a lot is that it, the sector is, is still new so even though there is quite big organizations and companies coming into this sphere and you talk much more about social entrepreneurship than you ever done before um, especially in that early stage when it was that new you need to have someone with a similar mindset to to grow as individual and to keep fighting for what you believe is right 
um, but then also to connect you with the people that can help you take that next step in your entrepreneurial journey. So it's finding finding your tribe, your network. But how, how did it evolve from the beginning to what it is today? And what's your strength? So I think it evolved um, through the depending on who's on the board. I think that makes a big difference, obviously. It sort of shapes the organization. Um, and we've had... If I'm looking back on the, the history of the board now, I can identify so many people who's now in organizations that working with social entrepreneurship or close to entrepreneurship. Um, and uh, that's sort of, for me, that just shows that the interest of the sector was really uh, key in the very beginning. Um, and I think as, as a board-led organization, membership uh, organization from the beginning, um, always aiming to finding its own business model. So I think that's why it has shaped a little bit um, and now working with CEDA and looking at how we are offering services and, and products to um, to the, to Sweden and to the rest of the world. Uh, and out of those 900 applications, how, how do you pick them? We just pick a few from the stack. No, but... Um, Random, we, huh? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so get the lucky ones. No, it's a pretty long process for us, so we filter it. So first of all, it's, it's three different stages. So um, it's a shorter application to begin with, and we filter out uh, based on a few criteria. Um, and then we invite um, the next round, so roughly 60 or 70 applications, to fill out um, a more extensive application. Um, and from that, we interview up to 20. Um, we interview via Skype, and sometimes we interview them twice. Mm -hmm. um, it's also important to remember that we, we interview people in some of the most um, challenging environments in the world. So um, Skype connectivity is not always the best, so there's, there's always challenges with that. Um, but that are the, the, the three stages. Um, and we work with uh, industry experts, so it's not just us, the staff of SE Forum, that's, doing, that's part of the selection process. It's also people part on our board, but then also external experts, depending on what kind of sector the entrepreneurs are working within. Um, and then we just go through like a, a set of criteria that's pretty long now, um, trying to rate um, people after these criteria, but then also looking at the, the fit for the program. So it can be a spectacular person, fantastic person, um, a strong enterprise, but not necessarily the best person for that for our particular program so it's also the program fit is really important um, so I think that's probably the short answer you can go into a lot of more detail but that's roughly uh, the idea but how, how I mean how do you fit them this the final fit what makes your be in your programs mm, it's I think one one really key aspect that we have is that they need to be here and really ready to learn. So our curriculum is based that they need to do a lot of work. Um, if you come and you expect that you can sit on a bench and listen to someone who talks, um, then you're not the right fit for the program. If you come and you don't feel that, if you feel that you have, you know, you nailed your business model and you feel that you don't really need to shift anything, but 
Sweden sounds nice. Mm-hmm. You're not the right person for this program. And they, they do exist, you know. So, and sometimes you don't even know that that's your feeling. Um, but we really demand that they are questioning their own businesses, um, their own business models, mm-hmm. um, and that they are ready to learn from each other uh, asking those really difficult questions because that's when we can feel that um, the program gives the effect that we wish it um, to have. So they really use the, the thing that you got two ears and one mouth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's Listen right. Twice as much as that's talking. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's your role in this? So my role, I'm, I'm the executive director of the organization. So um, I am at the moment looking more at the business development side of things for for the organization. Um, finding and um, looking for the right partnerships around the world, but also here in Sweden, um, because you know we want our um, entrepreneurs to succeed that goes through our programs, but we also need to make sure that we are part of building an ecosystem. So we can't just solely look at ourselves and what we do. We need to reach out and see um, where our fit is within the ecosystem. So. Um, that's quite a lot of work um, to figure that out together with other players um, in the sector. How does the ecosystem look like right now? In Sweden? Yeah, in the world. Or in the world, yeah. I mean, it's that will takes a long time. But I think, I think as a base um, and as a if you say in general, um, there is um, there's quite a few foundations and players coming in want to highlight success stories. Um, and there are quite a few success stories, mm-hmm. um, and I feel that there's a lot of um, organizations focusing on that part, partly because they want to be close to cool people, because that's usually how it works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to be seen in those environments. I feel that um, there's there is a need to look at um, the base and see how can you create a strong funnel to make and create and support more people to come in to come into that more mature um, uh, stage of of um, enterprises. Um, so in general, I would say that's what I've seen. Um, but then obviously, it depends uh, which country you go to because there's different experiences and yeah. Are you stronger in some continents or countries than others? Yeah, so we have more applications from Eastern Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a range of um, um, reasons for that, partly because we've had quite a few people from Eastern Africa in our programs. And it also seems that that's a good timing for that area right now with social entrepreneurship. Um, there is a, um, a sense of going from uh, when it was really... Um, it was seen as a good thing to be um, employed by the public sector uh, or being employed. And if you run your own business, it's, it's almost like a s- secondary thing you do when you don't get a job. Mm-hmm. But when you're adding social in front of an entrepreneurship, that adds an extra ele- element to it. Because um, many of these communities are more community-orientated um, than maybe us in Sweden. Um, so if people see that the reason why you start this company is something else than just making money, um, it makes more sense and it's a bigger drive to be able to make a difference. So um, that's one theme that I can see. Um, but I think, yeah, the alumni network is is quite strong. Like we get the strong applications from people who's been either in the program or close to it. So. The- the alumni that you had are good spreading spreading your word around. 
Yeah, so yeah. So we get new ones from the country that they already exist. That's right. And I also think that we get strong mm. candidates a lot from them because, as I said in the beginning, like it's not necessarily looking at the best person or the best enterprise. It's looking at the best fit for the program, right? Mm. So if, if, if I'm interested in going through the program and I can speak to a friend who's been through the program or close to it, um, it would be much easier to explain. So that means that we get better, in general, uh, stronger applications from there. Mm -hmm. Do you have any, uh, talking about those enterprises, do you have any uh, story that you can tell that they've really grown a lot or employed a lot of people or what? Mm, yeah, we've had... Um, an impact. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, there's a few stories. Um, I might start with a challenging one to explain, um, but it's a really fascinating story, I think. So um, last year we had a woman in the program called Luciana from Brazil, mm -hmm. um, and she took on a pretty big challenge. So in Brazil, there's not a recycling system, right? Um, so not close to what we have here in Sweden and in most Europe, where you, where you get money back if you hand in your empty cans or bottles. So what happens there is that you have waste pickers, like an unofficial economy. So people are going and looking at the um, dumps and finding stuff that they can sell. Um, now, a few years back, um, the government decided to put a new law in saying that companies like Coca-Cola or um, uh, other companies that releases packaging, um, they need to get their package back, like um, actually collect the packaging back. Mm -hmm. um, and if they don't do that, they will get a fine. So incentivize them to, to actually take responsibility for, for the, the products that they leave behind. Um, and that's a pretty big challenge for a big company to take on. Like, where do you start? Mm -hmm. So what Luciana and, and their friends did was to connect those big companies or other companies with waste pickers. So through a digital platform, um, they, um, they tell the waste pickers to um, pick these bottles um, and cans, bring them to a, a collection center. And at that collection center, um, the data will go into this digital platform um, so you know what's collected. And from that platform, the producers, they know how much that is collected. So they pay money to, to the platform to the collection center and to the waste pickers, basically making an, uh, an entire unofficial economy official. Mm -hmm. yeah. So increasing the salaries for the waste pickers, increasing the revenue for the collection centers, um, and solving the problem that the, the producers has have. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty big undertaking. Um, and when she went through the program, they had a, they had a model, um, they had an idea, um, but they twisted in how they would approach the market. So from the beginning, they were talking to bigger players like Coca-Cola and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. But they realized that they don't have enough money to wait for them because it takes time to, to get decisions from Coca-Cola, right? right? There's a lot of bureaucracy there. Mm -hmm. So instead, they decided to go with these um, smaller companies um, that's a bit more edgy, a bit more cool, that's that, you know, feeling that this is also a good thing to do. So they developed a logo um, that's um, similar to the recycling logo that we have in Sweden. Um, and they said that, hey, if you pay us, um, you can get that logo on there and people can see that you're taking care of, of um, the rubbish afterwards. Um, and uh, we will provide you with this service. 
Um, and so from, from uh, nothing, they now have 20 customers, pretty big customers, um, and they have secured venture capital, um, and, and this is just not even a year. So it's, uh, it's a pretty fan fantastic story, I think, of not just the company, but it's a culture shift. So it's much bigger um, challenge than just looking at the business side of things. So I think that's quite fascinating. It's really disruptive. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. they haven't got Coca-Cola yet. They haven't got Coca-Cola yet, but you know, knowing her and, and her uh, colleagues, I'm sure that they are pretty close to it as well. Because it's, um, it's an easy win for, for the bigger companies as well. Um, they just probably need to feel that they they sure that um, it will take care of the problems that, that they see. Yeah, and the image thing also. So, I mean, if these cool companies that are already in it, and if Coca-Cola doesn't, I mean, it could be... That's right. It's a leverage. And that's sort of part of the, the idea as well when they went for the, for the smaller ones to begin with. Yeah. yeah. Any others that um, have grown, uh, that they employed a lot of people or...? Yeah, so um, I'm terrible with numbers, but um, a really interesting um, woman who went through the program in 2015, mm. she works with cooking stoves, so um, clean energy. Um, a big problem in Uganda where she operates is that in the huts and in the houses um, they actually have open fires. So. Yeah. Um, the, um, the smoke is a big um, health problem as well as deforestation so there's not much forest left and a lot of the time the women because uh, it's usually women and children that needs to go and collect the wood it, can, it takes a lot of time to begin with but it can also be quite dangerous so it's, um, and there are quite a few crimes happening at that stage so it's unsafe so what she has done is um, to create these cooking stoves, clean um, cooking stoves, but then also briquettes, um, so that will reduce um, the smoke and also that they will burn in these cooking stoves so you can actually leave it, so you don't have to take care of a fire during a whole day, so it gives you more time to do your daily tasks. Um, and the, the really interesting thing with her business model is not necessarily the cooking stoves and all that kind of stuff, but it's the distribution model. So yeah. it's, um, she's working with female entrepreneurs um, that gets a cut. So they sell these briquettes and they sell these cooking stoves. Um, they get a percentage and then Betty, um, she gets her percentage as well. So um, that means that they can reach out to the rural areas um, quicker um, and they can also give um, a steady income to the women that works in Uganda. Um, and she's more than tripled her sales um, after a year going through the program. Um, and uh, she was also before the program, before she started, she was not sure that she would, that she would continue with this project because she faced a lot of challenges. Mm. Um, but she, I think part of this as well is you know, you get the business advice and support, but it's also the confidence that you get when you're working with uh, like-minded people, so the, the fellow entrepreneurs and the trainers. Yeah. So someone saying that, hey, you're doing a good thing um, and we believe in your model. Here are some things that you can twist a little bit mm -hmm. to make it work better um, and sort of give reassurance to you so you can work harder and give you that boost of energy. Um, which is really important, I think, for, for an entrepreneur because you meet so many challenges along the way. So you need to get that positive um, energy with you as well. Exactly. The, the, to build on the strength you already have, but 
fill on the passion with more energy so that you continue. That's right, that's right. Because Before, until you break. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think especially for these entrepreneurs working in these really challenging conditions, right? So it's not it's not that um, if your company fails that oh well I can find another job or um, I will get benefits in you know in a in a country with such a strong safety net as Sweden. Like here's it's really big implications if you don't do um, if you don't um, proceed and succeed with your enterprise and with Betty you know the, the business side is um, you know she cares about the business side but it's she's driven by the impact she has on her fellow women um, in that region mm. um, that's her real um, drive to make this work and I think that's that's a mind uh, shift that's interesting right so the drive is not necessarily the business the business is a tool to reach um, the goal that she has and level the equality yeah between men and women exactly yeah because it's it's important to build up the um, you need to have a stable foundation in order to make your own decisions mm-hmm. um, and um, entrepreneurship and business can be part of that and I think that's really really strong would you say that one of the key questions to make the world sustainable to to make the, to level women's uh, to support themselves yeah I mean I think at least feel that they can do it yeah I, I think that's really important and, and you can see that as well in the environments where they where they work um, Betty has taken on a, a leader role in her community um, and because of her business that sort of justifies that um, so I think that sure that is a really strong sentiment and I think research has shown that as well mm. um, so it will be really interesting to see how that shift continues do you have any number uh, the eight that come here are they 50-50 men and women or more yeah we aim to have 50-50 mm. um, and in this year we have more women than men actually and that has some um, um, there's some other reasons for that, but um, we try to have 50-50 because we're looking at the group and we find that the group dynamics work better then. Um, so that's part of the selection criteria as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see any other trends that will make the world a better place to live in? I mean, I think in general, we, we mentioned, we touched on it briefly about you know adding the social in front of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that becomes more of a common sense now, right? So you don't, you definitely don't want to do bad when you do business. That's like that's something that's before maybe you didn't care as much about that. If it was a good business, you can do whatever you want because it's business. Mm. That was one of the arguments that you heard quite a bit. Um, whereas now it's shifted, um, I think. Mm. Um, and I also see, I also see that there is. Um, the step between the NGO world and the, the corporate world or the business world, um, it becomes more, more of a grey area. And I welcome that because I think there's so many strong um, positives in the NGO world and the same in the business and the corporate world. And that people are interested and curious in each other's worlds. Mm-hmm. I think that's really key. Um, and, um, you know, there will be... There will be some fights in between and there will be some arguments, but I think that's healthy and I think it's better that those arguments happen and that they um, that you take those arguments instead of saying that that's NGO and, and that's business and you don't even connect with each other. So some sort of co- cooperation, 
co-work, collab, mm. Mm. collaboration to make the world sustainable. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's key, and and I think that that's is starting to to happen. And I wish to see more um, more of that collaboration on paper as well, because it's easy to say it. Um, it's hard to um, find the clear ways of doing so. Um, so that will be interesting times ahead, I think, because there's more and more of those collaborations happening, I think. But do we need places like this in Norshen or places where you meet naturally that you can meet in a different ways? I mean, informal and informal and really get to know each other and the business ideas and that it's, it's not dangerous either way. Mm. To, to be supported by uh, the profitable or the NGOs. Yeah, no, that's right. I think I think Norquin House is a is a good good start. Um, and you know they obviously focusing a lot on software, um, so it's not for uh, for for everyone in that sense. But I think that's a great start, you know, and, and um, it's fantastic to see the discussion that has started to happen because of Norquin. Um, and the arguments that I was talking about as well, like they, they are happening when someone is actually taking a step and doing something instead of, um, you know, that you have another discussion or another opinion piece in the, in the, the newspaper or whatever it might be. Um, so I really welcome that. I think that's strong. Um, and I think also that the difference, the, the, that curiosity is starting to happen. You see that, especially in the tech scene in Stockholm, and uh, there's different initiatives there. Um, it seems like the purpose uh, of why you're doing what you're doing is gaining strength. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, and the sector where I operate, that's obviously key. So uh, for me, that feels very exciting. How do you end up at SFOR? What's your history? Yeah, so I, um, I, think, I think where I started, like I have... I have an entrepreneurial family um, to begin with, so my dad um, ran um, and runs a, um, a company and always been one of those problem solvers, I think. Um, someone who wants to, if I, see, if, we, if I see a challenge or a problem, I want to do something about it. Um, not necessarily starting a business, but starting different projects and, and trying to make the world a little bit better, because that's... It seems like a theme is that the projects that I start is to improve something and then finding the business model to make sure that that could happen. What was that, the thing that to make the world a little bit better, what did that start out? Yeah. The seed that... Yeah, I mean, I think one, one interesting seed, and this is not solely my project that I started, there was a, a group of us, but I think um, it gives an idea of how I've been thinking. And I was working a lot with summer camps uh, through YMCA in Sweden, and it was particular um, a camp outside the town where I lived, the shopping, and the place is called Breivik. Um, and they they have they run summer camps um, for people for young people from ten up to uh, fifteen or sixteen. Um, and I worked there for a n number of years, and I. I saw a decline in people coming from low-income homes. Um, so it seemed to be there was becoming... It was almost like it was stabilizing that people with money could send their kids, right? Um, and I thought one of the strengths with these camps was that you got really close to each other and, and didn't really matter where you came from. So it, I saw a bit of a disconnect there um, together, and together with uh, some other friends as well. So we, we started to look at how, how can we uh, mix the group 
a bit more, mm -hmm. right? How can we get these camps to have more more of a mix and people from different places? Because that spurs discussion and that spurs um, development in yourself as, as a young person, especially. Um, so we we spoke to different Rotary clubs and Lions clubs and with the local government um, to chip in money and companies as well to chip in money in a fund. And then um, we got the, the local government uh, social services to um, become the um, sort of phase out for this fund. So um, young people who was interested to go into these camps, they could apply there. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a fund that the social services could use to pay for those spots. Um, and that meant that no one on the actual camp knew that, okay, so Niklas, he got money from, from social services, that no one knew about that. So that, that was also important because it needed to be an equal stepping stone. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one of those examples, um, I think, early on that I did when I was a bit younger. Um, and then in Australia, I lived there for seven years, um, as you probably hear from my dialect, a bit of an Aussie slang there. Um, and I started an, 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 uh, my own enterprise there called Tram Sessions where we um, invited bands to play music on, on trams um, in the city. And there's two reasons why we started that. Like one of them was to, to really broaden um, uh, the access to live music because I mean, now I'm a dad and I know that I don't go to concerts because it's so hard to fit, fit it in, right? And those clubs are a little bit different to what I enjoy doing now as well. So it's almost like it's a little bit limited where you can find live music. I love live music, um, so I want to have access to it, right? And then it's also um, looking at public transport, that public transport often gets a pretty bad rep. You know, oh, it's always late, it's, um, you know, um, it doesn't smell good and it's dirty and all this kind of stuff. Whereas the concept of public transport is amazing. Like as a social innovation, it's, it's incredible, right? Mm -hmm. So it's more that um, the development of the, the public transport uh, needs to lift. But the notion is great. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to lift that by giving the joy of live music to the transport sector, like to, to the trams. So when people go on their daily routine and go to work or go home from work, they can see a live band. And we're talking like the best acts in Australia. So we've had the top bands in Australia and some international acts as well. So they get to enjoy live music, which they wouldn't have normally. Um, and it also lifts their spirits. And afterwards, they feel pretty happy about, you know, going on the tram ride. Mm -hmm. So the public transport um, authority was very happy with that as well. So um, that was one of those businesses um, that I started that's still running um, now, actually. So they, even though I've been in Sweden for four years and I'm just there in, in, in advisory board capacity, um, yeah, they're, they're going strong. In what town? So, sorry? In what town? Melbourne. Melbourne, yeah, Melbourne. Melbourne. And also, they... they Trams are very iconic for Melbourne and live music. So we connected those worlds and that was um, a bit of a success story. Oh, great. Um, and that led me to work with the School for Social Entrepreneurs. So that's where I had my employment in the last few years um, and um, running capacity building programs for social entrepreneurs. So similar to SE Forum. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of um, a lot of my experience when it comes to social entrepreneurship. So what, what brought you back to Sweden? Um, my, I have an Australian wife, um, and we thought that if we didn't move then, four years ago, we would never move back. Because mm -hmm. it's, well, you back know, for you, for me, exactly, for me, back for me. And she was actually more keen than I was in the beginning. So, 
Um, but it's, you know, like if you want to get to know a culture, you need to live there. So, um, yeah, that's probably the main main drive why we moved back, because we loved Melbourne, both of us. Mm. So why has it fallen then? I mean, it was connecting the worlds, or, I mean, it was, for me, it was really exciting to work with this sector, because uh, I believe in it. Um, and I saw a lot of similarities to the work that I've done in Australia. Um, and also add add the international flavor to it. So looking at emerging markets as well. So that was very exciting to me. Uh, how about SE Forum's business model? How does it work? How do you, where do you get the money? Mm. So at the moment we are working with uh, with CEDA. So roughly seventy percent comes from from the CEDA initiatives and thirty percent from other um, partnerships. Um, and we are constantly looking at how we can. Um, evolve the, the business model and um, look at more um, uh, opportunities to um, give our services and products um, to, to other players. Uh, and the people that come here, the eight, the eight entrepreneurs, do you have any plans to expand those amount of people or more programs or? Yeah, so we do, with that particular program, um, um, that's eight people and that's because we have that in our deal with CEDA. So it's been been a question of how many people that we can support with uh, travel costs and, and so forth as well. And looking at how big can the group be to be as efficient as we can, give the maximum effect. Um, but that's something that we're always looking at and um, evaluating the size of that group. Um, when it comes to other programs that we do, it shifts a bit more. So because we go in country, so we also go to. We've been in Palestine, we've been in Kenya, been in Jordan for for different types of programs as well. Um, so it differs with whom we are working with, um, and um, uh, looking at the objectives for those particular programs. Uh, and the people that come here, what would in what areas do they? feel that they develop most when they are here? Mm. That's a good question. Um, obviously it differs because it's different people. Yeah. But I would say as a, as a general rule of thumb, I think the social impact side of things, to make that, um, put, it, put that into a system, that's a big, uh, big thing for the participants. Um, a lot of the time they worked on it, but they don't necessarily have um, an established framework. And because now they come a bit further in the business model, it makes sense to put, put a system in place. Whereas if they're too early on, it's hard to put a system of social, social impact in if you don't really have the business model yet. So um, I would say that that's, um, that's a big thing for, for a number of participants. Um, but then also looking at the investment readiness and um, keeping track of your finances to make sure that potential investors or foundations are, you know, feeling that this is a good enterprise to, to support or invest in. So to make sure that you can tell the investors or the customers that the system that you build up is sustainable mm -hmm. so that you make money but enough money to evolve or develop That's right. the whole system. Yeah, so it's partly that, but then also to make sure that you give confidence to the investor or to the foundation that, hey, we, we're on to this, we know what the next steps needs to be, you can trust us, we got it. Mm. So, yeah, it's those, those two things. You get better to explain that the business model is sustainable and 
will yeah. be sustainable or for a long time. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's just a lingo, you know. It's um, we have people working in the most remote areas, um, and if they are looking for an investor that comes to say um, say Uganda, and if they come to Uganda. Um, and maybe it's just over Skype. So you have an investor that's used to the investor language, and then you have a local social entrepreneur who's doing really well and um, you know, ready to scale their products or services, their business, um, but the language doesn't match. So it might be a good match if you look at it on paper, but because um, the entrepreneur doesn't feel comfortable with using that language, that can be disconnect. Mm -hmm. So we, we're helping them with that as well. So, so it's, sometimes it's just about giving that confidence to those numbers that you're showing here, they're good. Um, you need to improve this and that. Uh, this doesn't cut it, you need to improve it in this way. And then that makes them more confident when they speak to potential investors or um, funders. Yeah, yeah. money is important, but it shouldn't be the main course maybe. But you have to have it yeah no you have to have it so it's like it's the tool to make to to create the impact that you want to make right so it is an important element of it um, and you know it's, it's easy to be afraid of money um, and I think going through this program will um, help them to feel that money can can be a really positive thing for you and you shouldn't be afraid of it and just give you confidence in how you talk about it and how you use it so let's play with the idea that it's 27 now and we go to sleep and when we wake up it's 2027, 20, 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. What has happened that's really made the world a better place to be in? Mm. And what has SE Forum done to be make that happening? Yeah, it's, um, it's twofold. Um, one part is that we have the trailblazers going through our programs um, and they will lead the way in how you can do business and how you can create impact at the same time. Mm -hmm. So people, it's people that the rest of the world can look up to in a way, that you can do business differently. They will, um, they will show the, the business world or the regular business world that you can do business in a different way. Um, and then you will have more people working from within to change bigger corporations, to change bigger companies um, and the reason why they're doing what they're doing. And I think we already see this a little bit in different organizations. Um, our entrepreneurs are visiting IKEA at the moment and I know that they've been working a lot with how they look at sustainability and um, their future business models. There's a lot of things happening um, in different sectors um, and I think that will accelerate within the next five years and it will be interesting to see the outcome of that. So the tipping point you say is in in about five years. Oh, it's so hard to give this. I, <laughs> I mean, want the crystal. Want yeah, you want yeah the crystal crystal bowl. Um, I mean, I think especially when it comes to energy, the car industry will just redo well, the, the entire business model of the car industry. Like maybe people don't need to own cars anymore in the future, right? So they really questioning their own business model at the moment and that's a massive shift for them so um, I think you will see more of that in other sectors as well um, so it's interesting times for sure yeah I'm, I'm thinking about that too I mean I'm about maybe to buy a car in a new car in a half year and we need one but when will the shift be so is it is it a good thing to buy one now or is it a waste of money yeah it's yeah, always yeah. a waste of money to buy a car but is it more waste? Yeah, yeah. Now it's. I mean, it's it's fascinating. I mean, I think just from a business side of point, it's it's interesting. Um, 
So if you've run a business that's been, I mean, relatively stable, even though they have they have have had troubles the car industry, but you know it's been pretty much the same for a long time, and now it just comes to where you question if people actually want to buy their own car. Mm -hmm. This is a subscription model. Um, you know the way how a car is um, uh, powered um, that will totally you know it's changing rapidly now. Um, so there's there's so many things that's shifting in that industry, and you've seen that with um, you know Kodak and all these kind of businesses, and I find that fascinating, and especially if you can look at it from a sustainable standpoint, mm -hmm. um, and how uh, that creates that shift. Yeah. And what has SE Forum done? Is it building this ecosystem that makes it become a turning point, so it's growing? Faster, faster. Yeah, exactly. I think definitely. So it's it's the tr trade basers, mm -hmm. but then also connecting uh, businesses so you can help um, help them realize how they can change their business model as well. Um, so bringing bringing sustainability into their innovation work. So not just looking at you know innovative um, products uh, and services from a business standpoint, but also like for the, for the sustainability of the world and uh, social aspects and environmental aspects, um, I think that's that's uh, that's going to be really interesting because that tells a story about your company, um, and that's what you sell nowadays when it comes to to marketing and so forth. What is sustainability to you? Oh, it's a good question, there, Hans. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's looking at it's looking at the whole specter, right? So it's, it's looking at um, the full circle. So depending on where you stand, I'm looking, it's a circle or something. Yeah, what, what effect do I have on the world? Uh, and how can I make more co um, conscious decisions um, and make sure that the, the print that I leave after, after me um, will be as good or make the world even a better place, right? So for me, it's something like that. Um, and I think to to constantly question yourself like that is, you know, not not just in the business sense, but for you as a person is really important. That's why I stand with the car. I mean, I would like to buy an electric car or whatever, so hydrogen, uh, what do you call it? Uh, but what? How will the public transportation work mm. in five years? Yeah. Or ten years anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's so a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the those uh, Androids or iPhones are 10 years old, and now they have the capacity at 120 million moon landings. Yeah. Like the capacity they had then in 67. But, you know, sometimes I think they, they, the coolest thing with that was that with that technology, we came made, to the moon, right? Yeah, they made it. I think that's almost more cool than that you have that power in, in your phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. How long are you with the alumnus? Are you with them afterwards when they growing to to help them think about the organization or do you have mentors that they can put on when they leave you in, in the water in the fall mm. when they go back? Yeah. The second time? Yeah, so that's um so we have um the the setup of this program just to give the, the, the context to it is that they come to us in April. They spend three weeks with us uh, and we really interrogate their business. That's sort of the, the overall heading. It's interrogating the business. And then they set up goals um, because they go back for four months to their home countries. Um, they re report back to us 
how they how they're going and also what they feel excuse me and um, what they feel that they need more training in mm -hmm. and that enables us to when they come back again in September to cater for that and make a program that's a bit more in individualized um, so it's it's um, it's a pretty cool setup in that sense um, that means that the program officially runs for six months it's not those two blocks of three weeks right because it's the whole time in between mm -hmm. um, when it comes to mentors they work a bit differently depending on what the need the need that they have because some of these people they have mentors uh, locally and it's can be really difficult over Skype depending on their connectivity um, uh, so some of them they use mentors and some don't from Sweden um, and then we also work with you know the network that we have established in many of those regions where they work so a lot of the time we connect them with um, with different players mm -hmm. now after the program we we follow up with them and, and measure uh, the impact that they have um, but also the impact that the program has had and try to um, try to see how we can improve, but then also what effect the program has on them long term. Um, and some of them, they, they keep contact with their mentors for years to come. Um, some of them don't. So it sort of depends on the individual needs. Um, and we also go and visit some of them, um, and that's part of the measurement and evaluation work that we do. Um, so I, I was in Tanzania and Kenya earlier this year to follow up on some of the some of the entrepreneurs there as well. And it's not just to follow up with those trips. It's not just to follow up on the impact that they have, but it's also to understand the local context of where they operate, because that's very hard for us and now sitting in Stockholm to understand and comprehend why they've chosen some of their um, angles and some of their like how they made their decisions. Um, and that made, um, you know, for me, that was that was really exciting to, to see the daily work that they do. What's the best advice you ever got? It's probably to to figure out the right questions to ask. Yeah. To, if, if you know the question to ask, then you will find the answer that, that you need. So what question is the best question you ever made? <laughs> Uh, for me personally, um, yeah, that's that's very very tricky. I think I think it comes down to um, your own personal drive, like why the the why question. Mm -hmm. I think that's really that's a why are you doing this? Why have you taken this decision? And yeah, you can continue to ask why for so many steps. Yeah, at least seven is still over there. Yeah, exactly. So that's probably a strong one. Um, at SSC, we worked a lot with... SSC is the School for Social Entrepreneurs. Um, and we worked a lot with... Um, it's called the actual learning methodology. So it's um, around asking open questions, not giving, not asking any leading questions. So the idea is that you have a group of people asking you open-ended questions... And it's for you to find the answer within you. Because most of the time you sit with the answer already. But it's just that you haven't figured out how to unpick it. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's a pretty powerful process. So. And it's the, question, well, the, the answer has to be right, I guess, when the right question counts. That's yeah. right. I mean, I, I think you see that in a lot of learning programs. I mean, you, you've been running a lot of programs yourself. Um, sometimes as a teacher or as a facilitator, it can be frustrating because you know exactly what that person needs. Mm -hmm. oh, if you just do that, you'll, you'll find it. Mm -hmm. 
but it doesn't matter what you think because it's that person who needs to understand it and and that's timing so it's when they feel um, ready for it when they sort of I don't know how to describe it really but it's some some sort of a click mm -hmm. um, what can be obvious for you is not obvious for someone else just the same as what's not obvious for you can be obvious for someone else so um, the timing is important as well do you have any model that you use for yourself to get up in the morning or make the drive um, I think maybe not a motto but um, I think my, my grandpa was a very had a big influence on me and it's something about kindness right mm -hmm. so in the decisions that you make and they can be tough um, but that you always remember why you're doing it and if you um, um, you motivate it with a um, um, an element of kindness in it as well so kindness for the person that you um, that you're making decision with or for um, and that, yeah that you're doing it for the right reasons and not your ego or financial gain for you personally yeah. um, but looking at the bigger picture um, I think that's some yeah I want I want people to live good lives um, and you have to take responsibility for your actions in order for them close to you to, to live good lives I guess so for someone that that thinking about starting something that's uh, those wise and those um, why I mean the, the things that your grandpa kindness mm -hmm. and stuff and stay um, why you doing stuff uh, is the advice they would give to someone that will maybe start a business today to be a social entrepreneur and make an impact somehow yeah I mean, and I think and, and uh, it's also important to remember that kindness sometimes it can feel that you know kindness is a really simple mm -hmm. thing like it's something that you do if you're not tough enough mm -hmm. but for me kindness is also making those tough decisions so tough love mm -hmm. that kind of stuff mm -hmm. um, so I definitely think that you need and you need to have the tough love against yourself a lot of the time it's about like why do I actually want to do this is it because it's an opportunity for me to shine rather than creating you know the impact of what you do or whatever it is so it's about finding that balance I think um, because going through um, starting an enterprise is tough doesn't matter if it's a regular company or if it's a social enterprise it's tough um, and you, you have moments where you you know lying down on the floor crying um, and you need to go through those stages um, so you need to have a strong purpose of why you're doing what you're doing um, and especially if you want to create a difference in the world, um, that makes, I think that's, that's probably a theme that I've seen with a lot of the successful entrepreneurs that I've worked with is that they're pretty strong on the why. Um, and that makes, that makes it easy for them to find a way through those rabbit holes and, and overcome those major challenges. The how and the, and the what's. Yeah. 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 Um, anything else you want to lift? make people aware of? I mean I think I think it's important to if you look at starting something have a look around in the world about what's already out there um, finding ways of if it's potentially to collaborate with someone else or looking at other models out there because to be honest most of the time your idea is not a new idea it's probably already out there yeah. but it's a different shape or format so it can still be very valid and, and very um, good to pursue it um, but just look around what's out there in the world um, and then also I think it's important to try to set you up for success to make sure that you um, 
that your life is in you know, relatively good order when when you pursue a project because if you want to make a difference in the world you need to be you know relatively stable yourself i think easier said than done but uh, i think it's important to look at it as well to start out with uh, the base for yourself and then look out or maybe yeah, do the base and then look out and see what's challenges yeah there are out there maybe that change the context as you said what kind of solution have they made there? Mm. Can I do it here better? Mm. Or in another way? Mm. Depending on culture and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, having a close connection to the problem that you're going to solve is also a key. You know, so it's um, understanding the problem is always the hardest thing, I think. And that's in any business. It's like finding that the pure business model. Why will this work? That sounds like a good uh, ending phrase. Yeah, oh, good. Find the business model. That yeah. really works. Yeah. <laughs> Easier said than done that too. Yeah. But it's a start. That's right. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Nicholas, for the chat. Yeah, no worries. Great. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Inspired of what Nicholas said, let's join the movement all over the world in any way you can and like. Make your life cheerful and sustainable with a social impact to your neighborhood. If you don't, someone else will, but if you do, in the long run, your customer will feel that they are part of doing something good for themselves and their surroundings. And if you also want to help me build this podcast and listen to me to more ideas and the persons that execute those ideas that make this world a more sustainable way to live on, spread the word on nourishing ideas to others. And also, if it's possible, give some money via patreon.com forward slash nourishing ideas. Until the next time, ask yourself at the end of the day, what are the three things that you are most grateful for today? And focus on the next small step that will take you closer to your goal and start right now. What did you find most usable and valuable of what we talked about today? Thank you for listening to Nourishing Ideas, a podcast for healthy and sustainable ideas that you can eat.